Welcome to this month's Interplay Conversations in Music. I'm Michael Shapiro, your host. Today from Berlin, Germany, and I'm here in Chappaqua, New York, I'm speaking to violinist and composer Noah Bendix Balgli. Very good to speak, see you, Noah. Yes, nice to be here. Nice to talk to you. You know, I was a, very much uh, brought um, to your neck of the woods, as it were, not only because I love the Berlin Philharmonic, and we'll talk about that, but because of something I heard about. Um, I heard about the Fiddle Fantasia, a klezmer concerto for violin orchestra, which you composed a few years back and which was um, premiered by the Pittsburgh Symphony, I believe, with you as soloist, mm -hmm. with Manfred Honeck conducting. And later done, I believe, recently in a chamber version as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, recently in uh, with the Kammer Academy Potsdam, we did a new chamber orchestra version. Now, before we, we started this broadcast, we discussed my klezmer background, uh, Sam Shapiro, my dad, was a klezmer clarinetist, studied with Dave Terrace, the great clarinetist. And I read in your bio about Eric Bendix, your dad, who's a tanzer, a dancer with Yiddish dance background, and your grandfather, who was a wonderful violinist, but also with background in this music, uh, Samuel Leventhal. So speak about your influences in Klezmer, please. Well, um, it's, I th it's mostly through my dad, you know, he's, he's sort of a, he's been a dancer, dance teacher since he was very young. And I think he got into it in his, his teenage years, in his twenties. Um, and he was mostly doing at the time, um, Eastern European folk dancing, Balkan dancing, um, and he and went to those countries when he was younger, you know, went to Bulgaria and former Yugoslavia and researched um, these dances, learned the traditional dances. Um, and I grew up around the, a lot of that music because he was teaching it at, at uh, workshops and festivals and such. And then later on, he got involved in um, Yiddish dance, too. That was a little later in his development. But um, when I was a kid, he was very involved in learning the traditional Yiddish dances. And so that brought me into contact with that music um, and the bands, you know, the people who were playing it. So, I mean, you were talking about um, your dad learning from, from Dave Terrace, who of course um, is one of the, the, the masters of Klezmer clarinet from, from a while ago. Um, I grew up with, with people who were involved in the sort of Klezmer revival um, in the seventies and eighties. Uh, people from bands like the Klezmatics, um, Brave Old World, uh, et cetera, et cetera, because the, these musicians were often involved in these uh, workshops and festivals where, where we would go as a family, where my dad would be teaching. And um, I want to mention one thing. There's a wonderful YouTube with you and the accordionist, who's a fabulous musician from Brave Old World. Which I've yeah, yeah. Seen. Yeah, that's Alan Byrne. He's somebody I've known for a long time. Extraordinary. Um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful pianist, accordionist, composer, improviser, um, who also actually lives in Berlin. So I've had the chance to collaborate with him um, some more now that I'm, I'm living here as well. So he was a big influence. Also, the, the violinist slash vocalist from that group, for, uh, the Brave Old World, Michael Alpert. Yes. Um, and then the other, other person who was, I think was a big influence was Alicia Spiegels, um, the, the violinist, former violinist of the Klezmatics. Mm -hmm. um, and she's just, for me, was, she was, she's a wonderful klezmer 
fiddle player, klezmer violinist, someone someone who really has a really special sound and, and way of approaching the, the the melodies and ornamenting them. And so I learned a lot of tunes from from those people and and was lucky at a young age to be playing with them and jamming with them. And and that's how I got into it. Um, you know, I was I was a kid learning the violin from age about five, um, learning classical violin, but already a couple of years later, I was starting to pick up this, the klezmer stuff and, and do that as well. And we just, so that just one developed second. over the years. It's, fab it's fabulous. The thing that I noticed about your playing, being uh, someone who writes for the violin all the time, the solo or concertos or sonatas or whatever I've done, and conducting violinists, is that you can change styles in a heartbeat. Meaning that if you're playing the Berlin Philharmonic as first concertmaster, you're playing a certain way. But when you stop playing klezmer music, like in your concerto, suddenly you're coaxing and sighing and <laughs> moving those tones and the flexibility is so amazing. Also, the thing that I love about your playing is that your pitch is just to die for. It is so centered and, 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 sh and it rings. It is just fabulous to listen to. Let's jump in. Think? No, it's, it just thrills me. I love it. <laughs> and the expressiveness of the voice. It's like, it, it's just, you sing. You sing with your mm. voice, with the instrument. I want to talk about the concerto. It's in three movements. And to me, it is just absolutely thrilling to, to listen to. It started as a violin and piano piece. Is that right? Well, that's how I sort of sketched it out. You know, I, I got this um, in, in a sort of surprising way, um, ended up with this, this commission from the Pittsburgh Symphony um, to write this piece. And right. the story behind that was that, you know, I was concertmaster there in Pittsburgh and wanted to commission a piece. You know, that's something you do as a concertmaster, you get often solo opportunities with the orchestra. And, and so I wanted to commission a new concerto and, and I wanted it to be a, a concerto with klezmer influences. Um, and I had been sort of looking around at possible um, composers and listening to things, but I hadn't quite, you know, as I say, um, bit the bullet and, and decided on someone, even though there are a lot of, you know, wonderful composers out there who, who do write with those influences. And then a few kind of from a couple of different directions, I, I got sort of the encouragement to try to do it myself. And so that's, that's sort of good you did. did. Good you did. Um, and, and, you know, since, since I'm not composing full time, not, not, that's not the main part of my work. I didn't feel like I would be up for the, the orchestration part of the um, concerto. And I was very lucky then to, to, that I got to know Samuel Adler and then he, he was uh, very enthusiastic to jump in and, and, join me in the project and, and orchestrate it. So what I wrote was basically a violin and, and piano reduction, so to say, with some notes on orchestration. And Samuel Adler then, then very, I think, very brilliantly um, orchestr orchestrated it for the, yeah. the full, full ensemble in, in a very colorful way. Um, and so it was a collaboration. It was a lot of fun. Now, your background as a composer, did you study composition? Um, when I was, I, I, you know, when I was, quite a bit younger. When I was a teenager, I was, I was composing a bunch. I did take some composition lessons when I was at school in Indiana um, University in Bloomington. Right. And, you know, I always do things on the side. I'm always composing my own cadenzas, um, writing uh, things here and there. But this, this was the, the, the sort of biggest project that I'd taken on. Um, but it felt like a very natural 
thing in terms of the genesis of it because I was really thinking, I mean, the, the, the approach was really thinking what, what are the, what's the music that I want to play as, as a klezmer violin soloist with orchestra? Right. How, do, how, do I, how do I imagine that Absolutely. taking place? So, so mm -hmm. that's what I worked out. And, and I think what, one of the first things I decided um, was whether, whether to take existing traditional klezmer melodies Yes. And set those or yes. whether to try to write my own. And I, you know, I, I took the tact to write my own melodies that are of course influenced by the, the traditional right. ones I know. And then some other things found their way in it that we discussed. Later I want to talk so. to you about this specific point right <laughs> now, because I know this intimately living with it every second of my life. My work, which is it's a large catalog at this point, because I'm a composer who conducts, not a conductor who yeah. composes, and a pianist. But Klesmer Father, who was also involved in swing music, I grew up with live performances and shaking hands and knowing Louis Armstrong and mm. a long list of, of, of people in the jazz world of my father's generation that I, he took me as a little kid. And also Dave Terrace, who I met, who played at my grandfather's 50th wedding anniversary was my father's teacher mm -hmm. later david krakow who my father amazed when he told david krakow that he had studied with dave terrace i mean this is it but all of this stuff is in this guy who you know played bach and beethoven and won piano competitions as a little kid and has been and has conducted the verity requiem and all that stuff me but when i write klezmer jazz american music european music, you know all this thing going now i don't write klezmer music I don't think I'm capable of doing it. Like I can't write rock or I can't write jazz. It's not me. I write my stuff. So my question is, as you're writing the fiddle fantasia, the klezmer concerto for violin and orchestra, by Noah Bendix Dahlgren, how did the tunes come to you? It's a good question. Good question. I mean, I think a lot of it was just fiddle, you know, for me, it's, it's fiddling around, so to say, on, on both, <laughs> both, both on the, the violin and also on the piano, you know, right. trying things out. And right. yeah, the tunes, I mean, are, they're my own klezmer tunes, klezmer dance tunes. They're different klezmer dances that I use as inspiration. Right. Right. Um, slow horror and three um, in the second movement. The last movement is a string, sort of a medley of prelachs. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of other things, some Balkan influence things in there, but, and, and they're sort of all strung together in, uh, by these improvisatory sections, doinas, um, which are written usually with a violin in conversation with another solo instrument in, in right. the orchestra. Yep. Beautifully done. Um, I want to sh shift to something else because we uh, are somewhat limited in time. I, the influence of writing for this instrument with klezma tunes and your whole klezmatic <laughs> mental state, but then shifting and suddenly you're, you're playing a string quartet of Haydn or you're sitting as first uh, concert master, I was going to concertmeister of the That's Berlin not. Film, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the leader of the Berlin Philharmonica and playing Mazeppa of Tchaikovsky or I don't know, some other piece. What do you have to do? What's your mindset? How do you shift so quickly? Well, I, th I think, you know, all the different kinds of music that we play, you know, it's, it's, it's just a sort of like a different language that you have to, right. you know, learn and style and such. And of course, 
the 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 language of you're playing Haydn or Mozart um, is very different than if you're playing Bartok or Stravinsky or Richard Strauss. And the same thing if 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 I'm playing something klezmer or something you know I have a group that does um, non non classical genres. If I'm playing a swing tune or something um, Hungarian gypsy and stuff, there you have to find that particular language what does that mean in terms of sound in terms of phrasing in terms of uh, ornamentation um, timing all those things you know right so so that's 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 a lot of what i'm doing yeah. when i'm switching gears and that's one of the exciting things is to be able to you know try try to inhabit those all those different worlds in in, in my musical life um and i feel that they enrich each other that 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 what I'm doing in a more improvisatory spirit in the klezmer world or with, with my group philharmonics is, is the spirit of that is actually helping me when I get into the concert master's chair and play a Beethoven symphony or- No question symphony. about it. I, I, I've been there when I conducted showboat versus conducting Mahler. I know the difference. Mm -hmm. a very big difference in different approach. When I was recently in Vienna before I came to Berlin and I actually saw you playing Mazeppa, I went to Gustav Mahler's grave because obviously for this Jewish composer, he's a, a mentor and an idol. And I, I have a personal connection to him. My teacher, Karl Bamberger, was in Vienna in 1911 when he walked into his mother's house, nine-year-old Karl, reading the paper, crying over the kitchen table. Mahler is told with Mahler's face on the cover, you know. Mm. And he, he told me these stories and, you know, he knew Schalke and he knew Walter and Fritz Fengler and the, the connection was absolutely firm. And then I'm going to get to the forbidden voices as well in a second, because he knew Ullmann and all those people too. So I went to Mahler's grave, which is in a Catholic cemetery in Grinzing. I don't know if you've gone yet mm -hmm. in Vienna and you can see down into the uh, Vienna. Uh, Alma's buried a few steps away with Manon Gropius, who you know, yeah. of course, from the Bear Concerto Dedicate T, right? Yeah. To a memory of an angel. But Mahler separated a little bit. His uh, um, tombstone was covered with stones. So obviously our people went <laughs> and were there and were putting stones on it. I felt in the middle of this Catholic cemetery, I'm, I said Kaddish. I just said Kaddish over Mahler. You know, I think he would have appreciated it coming from an Orthodox background. In your Klezmer concerto, you quote from the, I think from the Fifth Symphony. Some mm -hmm. of what would Mala have sounded like if da di da yum, buddy da di da yum, but I'm your first symphony. But you know, if he would been played by a bunch of Klezmers like my father or your grandfather. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why, how, how did it come out of Noah? that moment um i mean it was sort of a chance thing that just developed i mean the, the premiere of the the piece of the klezmer concerto was on a program that featured Mahler fifth Mahler's fifth symphony on the uh, second half uh, so relevant. and you know of course playing Mahler a lot in or in in orchestra i've right. always noticed all those those klezmer things you know of course it's it's quite overt in the first symphony because it really it feels like there's a klezmer band that, that that barges totally. into the third movement and, and with yep. instrumentation and the rhythm. Yep. But I, you know, I hear it in so many other places. I was, for example, just a couple of weeks ago was playing the fourth symphony. Um, and the concertmaster, of course, has a, has a fetal solo in the second movement with, with this tuned up violin. Um, 
Awesome right. sounding, often very klezmer. And, and, and then in the fifth symphony, this, this beautiful theme that comes in various ways um, is always, to me, has always sounded very Jewish. I mean, it's always well, so very we talk, no, no question and, about and, it. And, and the funny thing about that, you know, I yeah. played it a couple of years ago with Joanne Paletta and the Buffalo Philharmonic. And she knew, you know, she read the program notes and then she said to me, but that's also, you know, that's also the state, the same theme as by Mirabis Duchesne. Well, she's great. And I, I love Joanne. And I and I realized, yes, it is. It's exactly, you know, this and it's the same thing. So, you know, of course, it's that's how you how you interpret it rhythmically, where you put the the uh, the ornaments and such. But I just had a lot of fun putting it. You know, the original idea was to make this big climax in 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 the last movement with a full orchestra playing it as a freilax. And then I went back and started to to sprinkle it a, a little bit already in, in the second movement with a little clarinet. It's so well done. Oh my um, God. And, and, and the way and you, there. And you speed up at the end, which is so typical of a, you know, of a really well-played Freilach. So, yeah. And then of course, at the very end, there has to be a, a, a stop and a slowdown, you know, so you can speed oh. up one last time. <laughs> but that's, that's the dancer in you. I'm from, from yeah, your yeah. dad, from Eric. I mean, that's, you know? that's sort of my experience being around the dancing and, and, you know, knowing how they, they, they string the band string. Well, the men would go like this. this. People who don't know the Orthodox background that we're referring to, the men danced alone. The yeah. Women were on the other side of a curtain if they were or a rope or something. But the men danced alone and they hold each other like this. And, and then they they stomp at one point and then it speeds up and it gets. Um, I want to talk to you about Mahler performance, because this to me is fascinating. And I had these conversations with Bombegger and other people. There are some conductors that just don't get it. I, I'm very firm about this, and I have a big opinion. If you take the Jewishness out of Mahler, it eviscerates it. How far can you go? And you're a klezmer player who plays in the Berlin Philharmonic, playing Mahler three and who knows what else this season. How far should they go in the phrasing? Well, I think, you know, I think what makes Mahler's music and his symphonies come alive is the how, com, you know, how a complete it's a complete world. And, and it has, you, you know, thought of it, that it, has, it has, you know, the, the, the most pristine, um, otherworldly, heavenly music and slow movements. It has things that are just absurd and even ugly. And, and he uses yeah. every instrument known known to the orchestra and a lot of them not known to the orchestra. And he uses... Jewish folk music and Austrian folk music and all of these things come into this 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 sense of it being a whole cosmos and, and, and I think so all of those elements need to come through in a really vivid way um, and of course that that definitely applies to the the klezmer Jewish elements but also to the other things too um, that the, the things that are supposed to be really raw and violent are really raw and violent and the things yeah. that that are that are pristine and and um, you know I think of the the adagietto of the third fifth of the fifth symphony or just the third movement of the fourth or you, you know that, that he has such extremes of 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 experience and so and you know he writes it very clearly in the score too you don't oh he's have to amazing much, yeah. you don't have to do much that's not already in there but you do have to go to the end point of what 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 is this particular character sound that he's asking yeah. for right there 
People don't get that. You get it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has, to, talk, it has to be a little bit nagging. Yeah. Nagging. So let's talk technically. In your score to the Yiddish, the Fiddle Fantasia, I'm showing you this. Yeah. <laughs> you have notes. And you say you have certain notes about turns and how they're yeah. done. Sing it. Well, how I does mean, that I, work? I, I think I think it was uh, just to to tell people in the orchestra when they see these things that it's not a classical, well articulated trill. You know, these these are vocal gestures. The crest, right. the, the the cry, which that's the sort of the hardest one to explain. Um, I love that. I yeah, never saw in in, in a, in a uh, orchestral score the word crest. <laughs> and my father and the would question have is the question is how to notate it because. It's it's a stopped note. It's sort of like you know your your voice breaks while you're singing it. Um, it's sort of um, it cries out, and so that's that's a particular technical thing that right. clarinetists do and fiddle players. Yeah. So I wanted, yeah, 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 and and so I wanted to to encourage people to to go for that. Um, and, you say you know, this one, ornament, of the, one, of, yeah. one of the fun things about the concerto is it. it, it that I enjoy doing with new groups I don't know is that there are a lot of opportunities for particular solo instruments in the orchestra to have oh, yeah. a moment in, in, in the limelight together with the soloist. Um, and so I encourage them to really kind of go for it and, and change your things. Cl your you clarinetist know. in the Pittsburgh recording went Yeah, for yeah, it. he's fantastic, yeah. Wow. Uh, Michael Rusnik, yeah, yeah, yeah. This ornament imitates the cry or wail of a cantor when the voice nearly breaks after a note. That's, exactly. These are in the notes of Noah Bendix Bowsley in his Fiddle Fantasia, a Klezmer Concerto. The grace note after the principal note abruptly stops the sound of the main note. Ugh. <laughs> so why not in Mahler? I mean, there are things, I'm, I'm sometimes very tempted to add that kind of thing, but um, I tried... I, I try to keep keep to the 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 notes in the score, but but do do it with the style, with the sound, with the the phrasing, the accentuation, things like that, so that, that it has has the the color and the flavor of of you know a klezmer fiddle fiddle solo as a, like fiddle fiddle fantasia. Yeah, when yeah. you talk about the emotional cry of the cantor by stopping the principal note. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's literally the, the, the voice breaks out of, you know, of the intense emotion, I think. Yeah. Well, in that one spot, I'm going back to it and then I'll, I'll pass. It's just not played that way by a lot of people. Yeah, and I mean, and, you know, in that specific solo, I was just, I was just playing it and, you know, he writes it for a violin tuned up a whole step. And that right. first note, da 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 da, that is a, is a concert F sharp, which ends up being a lehre uh, seite, open string when you tune up the violin. So it's always, I've always wondered why so many people try to finger it, because the whole point of the turning up the violin like that is to give it this otherworldly <sighs> kind of creepy thing. And yeah. so if he's giving you an opportunity to play the, an F sharp string, that's going to sound really naggy and you know, a little bit, little bit, not like a, a real violin. Um, I try to take that and, and, and uh, you know, enjoy that, 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 the Lehre Seite. Lehre Seite, perfect. You know, it, it, just going back to him very quickly, and then we'll pass on to something else. 
think about what he was doing in 1900 when he wrote that in the middle of Karl Luger's anti-Semitic Vienna, in which it was very, very difficult to do what he did. He had to convert from Orthodox Judaism to Roman Catholicism to get the job at Vienna. And he's writing this Yiddish music and symphonies, and he's expecting it to get performed, which he could do because he had power, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a guy. Uh, quite something, yeah. Yeah. I just want to switch to something else. You, you are a leader now uh, in the sense of being a first concertmaster of the Berlin Philharmonic. And you also do a great deal of chamber music with, in all kinds of ways, with your Rosamunda string quartet and other places. Um, when you lead, what does that mean to lead in a symphony orchestra? Um, you know, I, I've done now for a number of years. When I started, I was quite young in Pittsburgh. Um, and at the beginning, it involved really learning the repertoire, you know, getting to know the standard orchestral right. repertoire. And, and, you know, of course, as a concertmaster, you don't just know it, the notes, you need to know what's everything that's going on. So the, the first years were a lot of study, a lot of, you know, learning scores, listening to recordings, um, you know, finding my own ways of, of doing bowings and ways I want to lead the section through my bowing technique. Um, and one thing I remember very vividly when I was starting that first job, talking to a, um, another concertmaster who, you know, I was asking for advice. He said, you know, always let the playing do the talking, you know, that, that mm -hmm. if, there's, if there's a message you can get across in the way you're playing, the sound you're creating, the way you're showing with your physical movements, if you can get, get as much information to your section and to the rest of the orchestra across that way um, and only stand up and, and say something with words if absolutely necessary. And I think that's good advice. I mean, you, you want to, I, I try to try to lead by example, lead, lead with my sound, how my, my bow division um, physically, you know, mirror what the mirror and support what the conductor is asking for and get that, that to as many people as possible in, in the orchestra. I, I think of it as a constant give and take, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly giving impulses around me to other section leaders um, and also reacting in the moment to whatever could be happening that's unexpected and getting that information I love this. Um, across and then making necessary adjustments in the moment. And that's the exciting thing about it. It's, it's always, you know, from night to night, it's always a different challenge and a different experience. Um, yeah, you, you can't, I can't say that there's like a, a formula to make it work. And sometimes it, I feel it works better than other times, Right. but it definitely keeps me on my toes. And I like that. And I like the challenge, of course, of, of, of trying to be a positive influence for, for the, the whole ensemble, for this whole organism to, to successfully come together to, to, for a, um, you know, an exciting unified concept of, of a piece. There's a recording on, on YouTube of you playing the Saint-Saëns, Orlando Capriccioso, and where you're actually leader, leading as well. Mm -hmm. And the chamber music quality of everybody around you and the way they like look at each other and they move their bodies into each other and the cellist goes boom, just in the right spot it is so good. And that is exactly what you're talking about. I, yeah, I, I mean, just, you know, I want, that's one of the things, things that I really enjoy about my, my orchestra about the Berlin Philharmonic is there's that sort of approach for everything. This, even though it's a big ensemble, everybody 
comes with that their own opinions and activities and such. So it's not a piece I would attempt with many other orchestras around the conductor, but wow. um, but it, it, it was a nice challenge to do it. Um, it's the biggest, time. greatest chamber ensemble I've ever heard. Every time I hear it, and now you have a conductor who really is totally tied into it. So mm -hmm. it is just the most fabulous thing to see and hear. And thank you, Noah Bendix. Al Lee for being with us today on Interplay. Uh, it's been a great joy for this klezmer, all klezmer, to this young klezmer, to be together uh, across the pond, as it were. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. Great to talk to you about about some some music that is very dear to both of our hearts. So I, yes, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks. This is Michael Shapiro thanking Noah for being on this edition of Interplay. Thank you for joining us.